So we're finishing with an introduction. The Bible has such a diverse array of writing in it, and it's easy to get confused by some or even all of it, right? Who's got an embarrassing confusion that they've had um, with the Bible? Yep. Conscious pilot. Yep. Any others? There's lots of confusions with the words, and there's there's confusions with um, all sorts of things. It's it's. Fortunately, it's not always easy to think of the confusing things. We sort of forget embarrassing things unless they were really, really funny. But one particularly confusing book is the book of Proverbs. It doesn't seem too confusing at first flush until you come across something like this. This is Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 and 5, which say, Don't answer the foolish arguments of fools or you will become as foolish as they are. Be sure to answer the foolish arguments of fools, or they will become wise in their own estimation. So, what are you supposed to do? This is the sort of thing that causes sceptics to leap joyously up, shouting, contradiction, contradiction, the Bible's a load of rubbish. But of course, that just shows how simple... That's a technical term in Proverbs. The thinking of sceptics is. Indeed. <laughs> it depends though, doesn't it? These, the, these two verses do seem to be a contradiction, right? They, and Proverbs is supposed to be a repository of wisdom, right? So that raises the question. What is wisdom? In his commentary on James, pastor and author Roger Ellsworth gives a succinct definition of the biblical idea of wisdom. You might remember that James talks about everyone who prays for wisdom, God will grant it to them. He says, first, a word about wisdom. What is it? We must not confuse it with knowledge. Knowledge is information. Wisdom is application. Knowledge is comprehending facts. Wisdom is handling life. Knowledge is theoretical. Wisdom is practical. If we think that wisdom is merely knowledge, then the two proverbs about fools do present a contradiction. But when we understand wisdom as the much more dynamic and complex process of applying knowledge to life, the apparent contradiction merely becomes a tension in application. Application will be different for different situations. So you can see why there are two different strategies for dealing with the same thing, namely the foolish argument of fools. Now, just to be clear, it's not the arguments that matter in this example but rather the fools who are making them. You see, some fools are very clever, and if you try to answer their arguments, they'll drag you down into the seventh level of logic hell with them. 
I'm sure you've met people like that, right, Matthew? <laughs> Tim? <laughs> I'm sure you've. Uh, I'm sure all of us have encountered those sort of people. Other fools are what Proverbs calls simple, which is a rather brutal way of saying ignorant. The approach of revealing that there is more to life than their oversimplifications will therefore be very helpful to them and even to those around them. And so the second proverb uh, applies to that sort of fool. The practice of wisdom requires being able to tell the difference between these two types of fools. So you could say that a part of wisdom is the study of fools. Wisdom is something you practice, like cooking or playing an instrument. So you don't just learn how to cook by reading a cookbook, right? You don't learn how to play the piano by reading sheet music or reading theory notes in your, your music course. You have to practice. So how do we do that? How do we practice wisdom? Do we follow our heart as the, romance, as the romantic person demands? Well, perhaps we rely on reason and rationality like an educated gentleman or lady. Do we cling to tradition or cultural practice as many minority groups are encouraging their people to do? Do we seek personal advisors? Perhaps we stick to cold, hard science. Or maybe we do the opposite and seek answers in religion. You might recognise what this cartoon is referring to. I thought it was a hilarious oversimplification of reality, which is the classic fool. That's Bill Nye, the science guy, who's a total moron. (laughs) Or a fool, to use Proverbs language, and uh, Ken Ham. And a complete misrepresentation of science and religion. So how is a Christian to become wise? Well, Proverbs is certainly a good place to start, provided we're careful to read it as it was written to be read. So let's start with what Proverbs says about itself, which is conveniently located in the first seven verses of the book. There you go. Who said the Bible was difficult? Let's read Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Just a quick note, only some of the Proverbs in Proverbs are the Proverbs of Solomon. So already it's a little confusing, but you know this is speaking in general terms. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance. By exploring the meaning in these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. 
This can be a very this this is a very careful introduction to the book of Proverbs. Carefully structured and carefully worded. I'll just note though that this is not the politically correct translation. This constant use of fools in Proverbs makes it rather difficult to make a politically correct translation of Proverbs. But bear with us. So I'm going to work through this section, but I'm not going to follow the order that the original author did. I'm going to be a rebel. So first, who is the book of Proverbs for? Well, verse 2 tells us that all people benefit from wisdom. And verses 4 and 5 elaborate further, presenting two contrasting pairs of people. Verse 4 claims that Proverbs benefits those who don't know much, that is, the simple, the ignorant, as well as as those who have limited experience, namely the young. Verse 5 goes to the other extreme and claims that even those who are already wise and those who are already discerning or understanding will benefit from Proverbs. In fact, the only people who won't benefit from Proverbs are those who bury their head in the sand, those who reject the wisdom contained in the book, those who, by very definition, are fools. By the way, in Proverbs, a fool is not a stupid person. So when, when the term fool is used in Proverbs, it doesn't mean somebody who's dumb, who has a a limited intellect. It means somebody who rejects wisdom. So, how do you become wise? The final verse of this section explains the key. And the key is the fear of the Lord. That's the foundation of true knowledge. And there's the definition of fools for you. Fools are those who despise wisdom and discipline. In ancient Israel, fear of the Lord was a key attribute of the righteous person. In the New Testament, fear of the Lord is still a key attribute of a faithful Christian. Jesus tells his disciples, but I'll tell you whom to fear. God, who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. He's contrasting God with rulers and authorities of the world. You see, fear of the Lord is crucial to wisdom because it's the humble recognition that God is God and we are his creatures. God will do as God wills. And there's nothing that we can do about it except to trust him. One of Solomon's Proverbs expresses it this way. And we talked about either this proverb or one that's very similar to it. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. That's Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. There are several proverbs that express this sentiment throughout the book. In contrast, fools think that they know everything, that they control everything. They've confused themselves with God. Or, to put it as Solomon does, A single rebuke does more for a person of understanding than a hundred lashes on the back of a fool. So wise people are open to learning. 
So when we read Proverbs, we should do so with that openness to experience, to correction, to observation. Tremper Longman III, in his excellent book, How to Read Proverbs, gives some helpful advice. Wisdom, then, is not a matter of memorising proverbs and applying them mechanically and absolutely. Wisdom is knowing the right time and the right circumstances to apply the right principle to the right person. Returning to the contradictory proverbs about whether or not to answer a fool, we see now that the wise person must, to put it boldly, know what kind of fool he or she is dealing with. Is this a fool who will not learn and will simply sap time and energy from the wise person? If so, then don't bother answering. However, if this is a fool who can learn and our not answering will lead to worse problems, then by all means, answer. In a word, proverbs are principles that are generally true, not immutable laws. Bearing this in mind makes a world of difference when reading the proverbs. Someone reading Proverbs 23, verses 13 to 14 from the New King James Bible and having a mechanical view of the application of Proverbs may well end up with a dangerous view of parenting because those verses say, do not withhold correction from a child for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Taken as a law, this would lead to parents beating their child out of fear that otherwise the child would end up in the fire and brimstone of hell. Indeed, a literalist would say that only a rod will do and spanking with the hand is not permissible. (laughs) But this is not a law. It's a general principle that encourages those who are reluctant to use a form of discipline by telling them that it is permissible and even helpful for delivering a child from behaviour that may result in premature death. As with the fool in the earlier example, though, one must know the kind of child one is dealing with. Some children won't respond at all to physical punishment. Indeed, it may hasten their path to the grave. Others may not need physical punishment, but simply a strong reprimand. The key is that parents must know their child and the situation as they apply any proverb. He goes on to give a very succinct summary of how... So that's the end of that quote, but immediately afterwards he gives a succinct summary of how to read proverbs. Oh, and that's the parenting advice for our future parents here. (laughs) Just getting in early. Um, Proverbs... (laughs) (laughs) Proverbs are situation sensitive. This is a general way to read Proverbs. If you keep this in mind, this will work. Proverbs are situation sensitive. We must not apply them mechanically or absolutely. Experience, observation, instruction, learning from mistakes, and most importantly, revelation, that's talking about the word of God in the Bible, all these lay the groundwork for reading the text, reading people, and reading the situation. This understanding of Proverbs will become even more apparent later in the book. And so we might, um, I think I might, send some of this material around this week from this book. It's in my um, 
Logos so I can send people chapters to read for our discipleship group. Yay. So what's the point? Now we know how to get wisdom, but why should we want wisdom? What's the point? Why bother? Sounds like a lot of work, all these like figuring stuff out, situation, context. Well, wisdom is about living life well. Life is meant to be lived abundantly. We're not supposed to be miserable. And many proverbs are dedicated to explaining how good a wisely lived life is and, in contrast, how miserable a poorly lived life is. In our introduction, after the description of the book and its primary author, the purpose of the book is described as to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise, to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just and fair. That sounds good, right? I could spend a whole sermon just on those two verses, but since they're just a summary of the many proverbs in the book, we can leave that for our study. Indeed, many proverbs contrast the good rewards of wisdom and the disastrous rewards of folly. For example, the first two proverbs in the main section of Solomon's sayings are, from chapter 10, a wise child brings joy to a father, a foolish child brings grief to a mother. Now, if you interpret that literally, you might think that fathers don't care about foolish kids and mothers don't care about wise kids, but obviously this is poetic. So, a wise child brings joy to a father and a mother, and a foolish child, believe me, brings grief to a mother and a father. Tainted wealth has no lasting value, but right living can save your life. So, the purpose of wisdom is to enable us to navigate life in a way that glorifies God and enriches both us and everyone around us. Wisdom's the difference between the maker and the breaker, the helper and the hurter, the lover and the hater. Therefore, get wisdom. Develop good judgment. Don't forget the words of Proverbs or turn away from them. Don't turn your back on wisdom, for she will protect you. Love her and she will guard you. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. Over the next few weeks of our study, I hope that's what we'll be doing by digging into this ancient repository of wisdom. So let's pray. Lord, help us to fear you, to have the humility that's necessary for wisdom. Help us to value your word above our own ideas or the world's ideas. Guide us and lead us. Make us a blessing in our home, our family, our church, our community, and our nation. In Jesus' name, amen.